Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be with you all today. I'm having second thoughts. Am I supposed to be up here right now, Brad? Okay. All right. I didn't double check before I walked up. Uh, as Brad said, I am one of the pastors at Hamilton Baptist Church, and um, it is good to be with you. I was here maybe two months ago, I think, and um, so it's good to be back, see a lot of familiar faces and the privilege of bringing God's word to you. So we will be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. So 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. And if you're not sure uh, where that is, it's in the New Testament. And there are five books of the Bible in a row that all begin with a T. So if you can find those, it's in there. And it actually starts from the longest to the shortest. So First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and then Titus. So we're, we're going to be in Second Timothy today. If you would, bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We are thankful to be here. We ask now that you would quiet our minds as far as just listening to, uh, even perhaps Satan has, has been trying to, to condemn some while they've even been singing about your goodness. So much of us, or, or so often we sin, we rebel against you. And perhaps there's even some here now who Satan has been casting stones at them, uh, bringing them down. Would you use your word to encourage? Would you use your word to build up? Give us ears to hear your truth. Give us hearts that long to obey you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, there is a uh, famous university professor, perhaps you might think this describes a, a, a number of professors, but I have one in mind. He, he, in high school, made a profession of faith. He now claims to be an agnostic. He's written many, many books describing why believing in God is not reasonable and describing his own uh, walk or, or lack thereof, maybe, he says this about himself. In my mid-twenties, I left the evangelical fold, but I remained a Christian for some 20 years, a God-believing, sin-confessing, church-going Christian who no longer held to the inerrancy of Scripture, but who did believe that the Bible contained the words of God, trustworthy as the source for theological reflection, and the more I studied the Christian tradition, first as a graduate student in seminary and then as a young scholar teaching biblical studies at universities, the more sophisticated I became in my theological views and in my understanding of the world and our place in it. So he first began holding evangelical views, making a profession of faith in Christ, and then he slowly slips away, fading away. And if you notice, even in his own confession, the first thing that went was his view of Scripture. It affected everything about his life, the trajectory that he was going. And now he openly claims to be an agnostic, writing books to dissuade 
his young students or anyone who would read to not believe in God, at least not the God that we know. And so as we approach God's word today, I want us to see that we are to continue in the faith by believing the gospel and that we should continue being equipped by scripture. So if you're taking notes, the first point we're going to look at in verses 14 through 15 is that we should continue in the gospel. And then verses 16 and 17, we'll see that we should continue being equipped by scripture. If you would read along with me beginning in verse 14 of chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we see here, Paul is writing. This is his second imprisonment. He's writing this letter to his dear child in the faith, Timothy. He's near the end of his life, and we see him contrasting the evil people, false teachers, with what he desires so strongly, with what he sees in Timothy. We see Paul saying, don't be one who pursues self in the world, Timothy. Be one who continues in the gospel. Follow what you have heard. And if we were to take the time and read verses 1 through 13 in the same chapter, we would see the stark contrast, right? And we even see it at the beginning of 14. But as for you. So Paul says, these evil people, here's what they're like. In verses 1 through 13, you could say, or Paul says they're lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, not lovers of God, appearing godly but denying its power. They take advantage of those who are weaker always learning but never arriving at the truth. They oppose the godly. They will go from bad to worse, and they deceive others, and at the same time, they are deceived. Hear the contrast and what Paul is saying, Timothy, my last days, the last thing I want to leave with you, the most important thing that I want you to hear, Timothy, continue in the gospel. Don't be like these evil people, these imposters. So in verse 14, Paul says, continue in the gospel. That is, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And Paul can speak like this because he knows Timothy's life. He's perhaps even led Timothy, Timothy to the faith. He's ministered alongside him. He's even ordained him or laid his hands upon him for ministry. And so Paul is saying, what I've seen in you, what you've learned, what you've firmly believed, continue in the gospel. It's your only hope in life. It's the only thing you can cling to, Timothy. This continue that Paul uses here, it's the present imperative. 
Now, for you, you're like, yeah, what does that mean? Great, okay? It, it's Paul saying, you currently believe, but continue believing. Stay in it. Don't stray from it. Not even for a second, Timothy. Don't turn aside. Pastor Kevin DeYoung describes sin and straying from God like this. Sin is like gravity. When you jump off the cliff, you just plummet. You fall. He says, sin is like gravity. It's not like a bungee cord where you hold on and you go down and then you get yanked back up. So diving into sin or even thinking sin's just going to hold you for a little bit and then you'll just come back up so that you can enjoy it for a second. Sin is not like that. It doesn't just let go and shoot you back up, but it's like gravity. It can destroy your life. You can plummet and be ruined by it. So Paul's saying, persevere in following Christ. Others may abandon him, but Timothy, you must follow. He's your hope. You must continue in the gospel. And so he even tells Timothy, continue in the gospel because of who taught you. Right? Continue. He says, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Timothy, think about those who have taught you the scriptures. Think about those who have taught you God's word. Consider their lives, their character. Right in a courtroom, a lawyer is going to be looking for a, test, a, a witness to testify who has good character. Why? Because the, their character, their lives, give credence or they, it backs up their testimony. So Timothy, remember those who have taught you the scriptures. So who is that? Who is it that's taught Timothy the scriptures? Well, we know from chapter 1 that it's Lois and Eunice, his grandmother and his mother. So Timothy didn't have, so far as we know, he didn't have a father who taught him the scriptures. But he had a faithful mom. He had a faithful grandmother who poured Christ into him. But then I think also these people who have taught Timothy the, Timothy the scriptures, I think it's also referring to Paul himself. In chapter 1, verse 13, and chapter 2, verse 2, we see Paul talking about him giving Timothy instructions and teaching him. But look back up at verse 10 in chapter 3 with me. Paul lists nine different things that Timothy has followed, his teaching, his conduct, aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. So Paul's saying, remember, who, have, who has taught you the scriptures? Remember their life and their character, Timothy. That's important. Remember your mother, remember your grandmother, but also remember, Timothy, I'm giving my life for this. I'm in prison as I write you. Because this is so important. So parents, when the days feel so difficult and long and hard, fight against the desire to coast as a parent. 
Give your children the scriptures. Give them Christ. Give them a life that loves Jesus, that clings to Jesus. And when you are tired and worn out from work and parenting, let them see that at least you're going to do everything you can to cling to Christ if that's the only thing you cling to. Cling to the gospel. Because I think they will remember that when they get old, when they have children of their own, your character and your witness in their life year after year after year will stick in their minds. But grandparents, you might be one of the greatest untapped resources for disciple-making for the next generation. Your life, your character, in front of your children and in front of your grandchildren will speak volumes. So have you prayed with your grandchildren? Are you reading scripture with your grandchildren? Are you involved in their spiritual formation? Yes, shower them with love and hugs and kisses. Do it all. But be lavish with the gospel. Teach them how you view the world that they might see through a Christ-filled lens as they look at life. Teach them. Your impact on their lives may just have a greater impact than you've ever realized on their eternal destiny as you pour into your grandkids Christ. Help them see grandparents clinging to Jesus. But students, kids, remember the character of those who are teaching you God's word. Look at your parents' lives. They're not perfect. As far as I know, no parents claim to be perfect. But look at the character of your parents' lives. Remember it. When you catch the bus to go off to school or your parents drop you off at the beginning of your freshman year of college, don't abandon Christ. Cling to the gospel. Remembering what you've been taught. Remember your pastors, your elders who preach to you Sunday in and Sunday out. Your Sunday school teachers. Or if the little kids who don't even hear me now because they're in the gospel project. They need to remember their teachers. So as you teach them, perhaps next week, don't just see it as babysitting. You have the privilege of pouring Christ into these kids every time you serve. That they might remember the character of your life. They might thank God for the one who taught them when they were six years old in the gospel project. To be faithful, to cling to Christ. But I think Paul also says, continue in the gospel because it's not new. Look at verse 15 with me. From childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Right? From childhood, Timothy. You've heard this perhaps since you've been three or four or five. You've had people pouring the scriptures into you, Timothy. Rely on the old. Novelty, new things, don't commend themselves to being believed just because they're new. Perhaps the old, the tried and true, the gospel, that is what must believe. And our culture says the exact opposite. 
companies pay marketing companies millions to redesign logos, to do market research, to come up with new products. They tweak something in their formula to put on the bottle so that you'll buy it new and improved. They want to entice you with new things. But when's the last time you ever heard a company say, this is our old product. It's tried and true. It's never failed you. And it's going to keep doing the same thing so long as you use it. Nobody promotes their product as, hey, take the old stuff. Keep it. It's good for you. It's going to work. No, we're drawn to new things. We want the new shirt or the redesigned car or new shoes. But Paul says, Timothy, continue in the gospel. What you've heard from childhood, Timothy, don't forsake it. These sacred writings, they're old, they're divine, they're given to us from God. But the Old Testament, make no mistake, it's not the beta test. The New Testament is not the new released version where all the kinks are worked out and so we need to pay attention to the New Testament. No, the sacred writings, Timothy, the Old Testament that you were taught that points you to Jesus Christ. Believe it. Cling to it. You've heard it since childhood. And Timothy, you don't actually want it to be new. You want it to be old. Because it's proven itself over and over and over to work in the lives of God's people. So if you're tempted towards something new, toward, towards something fresh, listen to John, 1 John 2, 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. What you've heard from the beginning, it's not changed. It's not new. Believe it. Because if you abide in what you've heard from the beginning, God's word promises that you too will abide with Christ one day. So Timothy, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed from childhood. And so if you're here today without Christ, perhaps you're visiting. Um, the good news is Jacob will be back next week. You'll get to hear him, so come back. Um, but I want you to know, based on God's word, that this is not new. That Christ is the only way. Christ is the only way that you can be made right with God. The scriptures for 2,000 years and, and more have claimed that there is one, the Holy One of Israel, who was coming, the Old Testament proclaims, and then the New Testament says, he has arrived in Christ. He's the only way. His perfect sinless life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection is the way that you're made right with God forever. So it's not new. But Paul also says, Timothy, continue in the gospel because the gospel brings you to salvation. Christ is the only way. He says in 3.15 that if you continue with these sacred writings, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith 
in Christ Jesus. So not only do they work, if you abide by the word, if you cherish the word and you cherish Christ, it is good for you. But it's, it's going to accomplish something. It will bring you to salvation. It'll make you wise. So if you're looking for wisdom, look no further. It's right here. You don't need to listen to the Dalai Lama. You don't need to watch news. You don't need to keep up with the latest scientific findings or philosophical writings. It's right here in God's word. It will make you wise. It makes you wise for salvation because it points you to Jesus Christ. It's not a self-help book. So many people read the Bible They come to it expecting God to give them five steps to make their next job decision easier or to know where to move in life. That's not what it's about. It may give you guidelines, but the primary purpose is not to help you in your next decision. The primary purpose is to tell you about God and his work of redemption in Christ. So if you would believe in the eternal Son of God, who in fact did take on flesh, coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, being raised from the grave. If you will believe that, you will be saved. You will have the wisdom of God. You will believe the wisdom of God in Christ. And it's a promise. It's not a might, this might happen, but it's guaranteed that God will save those who bow a knee to King Jesus. So that's why Paul urges Timothy, Timothy, continue in the gospel. You've believed it, now continue in it. Cling to it, Timothy. But then he also says, Timothy, I want you to continue being equipped by the scriptures. Read with me verses 16 through 17 again. All scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. These verses right here are probably the most foundational verses that you can get in all of Scripture that form, help us understand the doctrine of Scripture. We see that Scripture is inspired by God. We see it's authoritative because it's from God. We also see it's sufficiency. That is, that it it is good for something. So, look at verse 16 again. All Scripture is breathed out. It's breathed out by God. That's talking about the inspiration of Scripture. I like that word breathed out, though. In the Greek, it's theonoustos. It means God, theonoustos, breathed. It's from the very mouth of God. It's God speaking to you. It's not some man's thoughts on God, wise sayings from some smart guys in history about God. It's God himself speaking 
It's just like if you were to go outside, perhaps even this morning, if you're out early enough maybe, where you breathe on a cold morning and you can see your breath. Think about that. God's word coming out of his mouth to you. Receive it like that. It's given to us by him because God wants you to know him. He desires you to seek him through his word. And then also in verse 16, right? It's not just that it's breathed out, but it's what makes it important that it's breathed out is because of the one who breathes it out. It's from God. It's God breathed. So the same God, right? It's authoritative. And throughout all of history, God's word has been powerful and authoritative. At the beginning, right? He created all things. What? By speaking. He spoke and everything that was, was because he spoke it. He also spoke to the prophets in Jeremiah, right? He says, now the word of the Lord. You hear the power, the authority in that. And then in the New Testament, we see God sent the word, right? God in the flesh, image of the invisible God. He sends to us, to people, that we might know him. And what's the goal of Jesus' life? It's to reveal the Father. To show us the way that you're made right with the Father is through Him. It's God Himself that makes you right. But then also, similarly, the Bible. It's given to us by God. It's God revealing Himself to us. He wants you to know Him. And this all scripture in verse 16. It's Old Testament and New Testament. The sacred writings in verse 15, I think that's referring to the Old Testament. But we see over and over in the New Testament, we see the apostles referring to one another's writings as scripture. If you want to look that up, you could look at 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, where Peter refers to Paul's writings as scripture. I think Paul also refers to his own writings as being given to him by God, by the Holy Spirit. And so I think here when Paul says all scripture, he's definitely talking about Old Testament. But I really think he's also referring to the New Testament as well. That all of it, everything that's been breathed out by God is authoritative. Not just part of it, but every single word. None of it is there by mistake. So what if I told you today, I'm going to write down an address for a certain day at a certain time, and you go there and you're going to hear from God. Would you go there? Right? If it costs you to cancel your plans for the day, you're going to make sure you're there. You might even be willing to wake up early and get there. You might cancel lunch plans to get there. Well, I'm telling you today, You've probably got one in your your living room. You've probably got one in your lap. God has spoken. You can hear directly from him today, tomorrow, in his word. Will you see it as authoritative and giving direction in all of your life? And so you value it so much that you want to be with him tomorrow if it costs you some sleep in the morning. 
that you're willing to get up. Continue in the scripture. Continue in scripture because it will equip you, Paul says to Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Look at verse 17. It's profitable that the man of God may be complete. So man there, think every person that's in Christ. Every man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this is where we're talking about the sufficiency of Scripture, right? So Paul's saying, Timothy, God's given us his word. All of Scripture is given to you. And if you will read it, if you will soak it in, if you'll meditate on it, it's profitable for you. If you'll think about it. It will benefit you. It will complete you. It will equip you for everything God has called you to do. So I was even thinking about this this morning. Um, Many times pastors or or people who are coming to preach, uh, they get really nervous. I get really nervous. And just reflecting on this passage even before preaching to you now, thinking, God, you've given me your word. If I will soak it up like I've tried my best to do to present this to you, you're going to equip me for every good work. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the preacher. If you will continue in the scripture, God will equip you for every good work. Listen to it. Submit to it. And in our culture, submit is so often seen as negative. But it's not. God is not a malevolent dictator who is just trying to to make things difficult on his people. But he's saying, continue in the scripture because it's for your good, right? We saw in verses 14 and 15, it's good for salvation. But it's good for every single work God has for you. Perhaps you've been at work or had a teacher who gives you a project and you feel ill-equipped to complete the project. You have to go back and ask more questions or you feel like, man, I don't have the right tools to do this. I don't feel like I can complete what's expected of me because I don't have the right things at my disposal. God says, I've saved you. I've made you my child. And in fact, I've given you something to complete you and to make everything possible to do the work that I've called you to do. How, is he do, how does he do that? Well, look back at the scriptures with me. Verse 16. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So John Stott groups these four things, right? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training. He groups them in two categories. The first two, he says, are for creed, and the second two are for conduct. So creed, what you believe. So God's word teaches us what to rightly believe. And it corrects us, it reproofs us, it rebukes us where we don't believe rightly. And then Stott says the second two pertains to our conduct. That God's word, it corrects 
where we stray from him, and it brings us back to him by training us in righteousness. That is, training is difficult. If you train for a race, you're going to spend time, day after day, week after week, training, disciplining your body to get ready for a race. God's word, as you read it, day after day after day, after year after year, it will complete you. It will work righteousness in you. It will correct your behavior. I hope you find that encouraging. God wants what you want. In your battle against sin, when you hate the things that you strive so much not to do, God wants the same thing. He wants you to pursue Christ-likeness. That's why he gave you the word. It trains you in righteousness. He wants what you want. There's another blessing to continuing in the scripture that it equips us. It's that Stott also says scripture is the chief means which God employs to bring the man of God to maturity. So scripture, when you spend time in it, as it trains you, it's going to bring you to maturity. That just automatically, when I think maturity, I think Psalm 1. The blessed man who meditates on God's word day and night. He's like a tree tree planted firmly by streams of water. God's word will bring you to maturity. Another blessing of being equipped by God's word is that it produces holiness in God's people. It trains us in righteousness. He desires mature faith that you might not be tossed around by competing desires in your heart. It works out holiness in us. But another blessing of continuing in the scripture is that it will be a means of joy to God's people, to you. You may find it difficult sometimes to read God's word and understand it. But the more time you spend in it, the more you understand it, it will become a joy to you. The Westminster Shorter Catechism. The first question is pretty popular. Uh, A lot of people know it. You may know it. It is, what is the chief end of man? And you could probably answer it. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the goal. But how do you get there? How do you glorify God and enjoy him forever? Perhaps you knew question one and answer one. You may not know question two and answer two in the shorter catechism. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Right? So your goal in all of life as a Christ follower, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Awesome. How do I get there? I'm glad you asked me. It says, the word of God, the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. So your goal, glorify God and enjoy him forever. The catechism reminds us, and let me tell you, a catechism was usually used to educate children. So perhaps we could even listen to it today. If you want to glorify God and enjoy him forever, 
He's given us his word. It even says the only rule to direct how we may glorify and enjoy him. So you want to know God? You want to glorify God? You want to enjoy God forever? Open the word. Dig in the word. One of my favorite things to do is just ask God as I'm opening it, help me understand your word today. I want to know you. Don't let other things tempt you towards leaving the word. I want to ask you, could you be happy without the word of God? Could you enjoy life without God's word? If God gave you the next promotion that you're working hard for, God gave you a salary where you never have to worry about another bill, if God gave you health that you never had to worry about cancer, could you be happy if you didn't have the word of God? I hope your answer is no. So do you want to be equipped to glorify God and enjoy him forever? I tell you, continue in the word. Do you want to be equipped for every good work? I want to remind you, continue in the word. It's only the word that's sufficient to equip you, to complete you. God is eager to equip you. God wants to equip you through his word. So, Hear the words of Paul. Continue being equipped by Scripture. Continue in the faith by continuing in the gospel and continuing to be equipped by Scripture. That is your only hope. God's Word is your hope. So continue in the gospel. Continue being equipped by God through His Word. Would you pray with me now? Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Would you help us to cherish it? Would you help us to to long to be in it? That the first thing that we think of when the alarm goes off in the morning is not, let me check the scores on ESPN, is not what's going on in the world, not the notifications that we get on our phone from news that happened overnight. Would you help the overwhelming, consuming thought on our hearts and minds when we wake tomorrow morning be, I can't wait to hear from my God through his word. We want you. We want to glorify you. We want to make much of you. We want to enjoy you forever. Would you remind us when things are difficult and life is busy, that there's nothing greater we could give our lives or our time to than reading your word because you've given it to us. It's from your very mouth. It's in Christ's name we pray today. Amen.